Well, let us pray. Lord, you are the Lord of this church. Come now and address us as fellow sufferers and sinners. Lord, in thy mercy, send your spirit and address us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, tonight we're focusing our attention on Acts 1, 6-14. As Matt said earlier, I feel like um, he did a great job uh, preaching a mini-sermon uh, before me. So uh, we're, we're focusing our attention on Acts 1, 6-14, which we, of course, just heard read. Now, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, um, but essentially what we've been doing over the past several months is... Um, since Christmas, basically, we, we've been medica- meditating together on the life of a particular man named Jesus. Pay attention after the sermon to the shape of the Nicene Creed. Notice that there's kind of a storyline, a kind of narrative about what we confess and recite together. In the middle section of the Creed, we confess together who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he will do. Um, it's, it's a story about Jesus. At Christmas, of course, we were reminded of the Incarnation. We were reminded of the second person of the Triune God taking on human flesh. Then slowly, over the course of a few weeks, we made our way to His suffering, His death, and then His resurrection from the dead. Well, now we arrive at the next plot turn of the narrative. We arrive at His ascension, and we're focusing on those last four lines of the Creed. It says this, He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and His kingdom will have no end. In a sense then, when we arrive at the ascension, we arrive at the whole point of the story. We've come to the whole telos or the end. I'm I'm not sure if you've heard of that word. Say if you've taken an intro to philosophy course. Uh, but philosophers will talk about the telos, or the end of something, the purpose of something. The telos of that pew that you're sitting in is to sit down in it, right? The end of it, the purpose. We've come to the whole telos, the end, the purpose of the story. The creed reminds us of this. He ascended, and his kingdom will have no end. That is to say, Jesus has a future. His kingdom will not cease. The kingdom that Jesus announced is here to stay. The church, my friends, is not a historical society. We're not like a historical society that, say, is interested in Attila the Hun and wants to get together to discuss artifacts of Attila the Hun. We're not a historical society. We are the people of the living Lord of history. This is what we are together confessing as the church. And this, I think, is an interesting point for us as postmodern people. Whether you realize it or not, we are living in what the intellectuals call a postmodern society. A postmodern society. That means we live post or after the modern period. The modern world, by and large, you see, had a public story. The modern world was known for having a universal public story by which we as individuals made sense of our lives together. And that shift from modern period, the modern period to the postmodern period happened somewhere in the early to mid-1900s 
And wherever we decide to mark that shift, the point is basically this. The modern world had a story, but the postmodern world no longer has a story. If you think of, say, in the mid-1800s, think of what you learned in history class in high school. Americans dreamed of their manifest destiny that they were fulfilling, right? They together, American settlers together, were going somewhere. They had a future. Their story was moving toward a telos, a point, an end. But here we are in 2017, and that is no longer the case. We are in the post-modern period. The French philosopher um, Lyotard famously said that we postmoderns have moved past the point of thinking of large stories, of large grand narratives. That is to say, we no longer have a public story by which you and I as individuals together make sense of our lives. We're basically just a bunch of floating individuals and we're fearful of the future. We are fearful and afraid of what is to come. Add in things like globalization, technologies change, hard to pin down terrorist organizations, and you've got a very uneasy and uncertain group of people. Now, I realize the majority of us don't think like this on a daily basis. As we're trying to get the kids off to soccer practice, or if we're trying to cook dinner, this is not the way we're thinking. That's too academic and too cold. But I tell you how it does show up. It shows up in our neighborhoods and in our marriages and in our individual anxieties and in the voting booth. Religiously, it shows up in my fellow millennials always on the search for some denominational home where we can find security. We're looking for something to make us feel more rooted and more secure. Or it shows up in the everyday like in advertisements. Just pay attention to the next advertisement you see. It'll probably have some reference to this is how you live your story. We're no longer a society together going somewhere. We're just individuals who are trying to live our own individual life stories. I've recently begun reading a book called Habits of the Heart. Uh, it's edited by a philosopher named Robert Bella. And near the beginning of the book, um, the author talks about a, a guy named Brian. And Brian is basically a picture of all of us, though he is a real person. Brian gets married, uh, and then he gets two jobs because he wants to live the American dream. So he's a workaholic, right? Brian is a workaholic, and it eventually costs him his family. It costs him his marriage because he's overworking. Um, but then, after, uh, after his divorce, he gets remarried, and uh, once Brian gets remarried, he decides that his values are going to change this time. This time he's going to be a family man. But the book notes this, that whatever now Brian holds, whatever he is teaching his kids now, they may just be matters of personal preference that are detached from any social base that could give them broader meaning. It then goes on, Brian's justification of his life now rests on a fragile foundation. It rests on a fragile foundation. What it's saying is this, whatever commitments Brian now holds, they're no longer attached to any sort of larger societal narrative. They are just his own individual pursuits. 
He is just a person, a floating individual with merely individual preferences. This is, this is why we have phrases that we say to each other constantly. You do you. Be yourself. Find yourself. Essentially, we're on the quest to find our true selves and our true meaning, even if it means putting the larger society behind us. And of course, in this context, when we are to love someone, it means to support them in whatever individual pursuits and preferences they want to pursue. Our deepest individual pursuits are now enthroned as Lord in the postmodern society. This is where we find ourselves today. No large public story. We're chasing our individual dreams. We have blurry identities that we got to craft and shape. This is what describes us angsty, postmodern people. We are uneasy about the future we're going to. And all that is to say this. It is in this context that Luke now addresses us. Luke is the author of Acts, and it is in this situation that we receive Luke's word to us today about the ascension of Jesus. So I want to just take a look at this passage in Acts 1 briefly in two parts. So we're going to ask ourselves first, what do we mean when we say the ascension of Jesus? What do we mean when we confess together every week Jesus ascended into heaven? And two, if that's true, namely that Jesus is now the ascended Lord whose kingdom will have no end, if that's true, then what does that mean for you and for me? So first, what do we mean when we say Jesus ascended into heaven? Well, it's surprising, as Matt said, that even though this is clearly central in the New Testament and central in the book of Acts, the church has actually given it relatively little reflection. It's easy for us when we think of the Christian message to to easily make the move to the incarnation at Christmas or to the cross on Good Friday, but just think about how we don't tend to think of the ascension of Jesus. It's not like you and I on Thursday had the family over for Ascension Day Turkey, or for the past month we've been, you know, uh, buying up Ascension Day gifts, right? Um, that is the point. And yet, the whole theology of Acts hinges on this truth, that Jesus is now the risen and ascended Lord of history. I encourage you, uh, encourage you to read Acts in the next few weeks. Read through Acts and notice just how central it is in basically every chapter how Jesus is the risen and ascended Lord. He is the Lord of history. Acts, of course, is telling us about the history of how the church got started, and yet in everything woven throughout that whole history is the reality that Jesus has now sat down at the right hand of his Father. Jesus is Lord. For example, if you were to go to the next chapter in Acts 2, Peter preaches, Peter preaches his sermon, and he starts off by comparing to the famous king of Israel, David. So he, he reminds them of the famous king of Israel, David, and how his body is still in the grave. But Peter reminds them, unlike David, verse 32, this Jesus, he says, God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, 
And he concludes in verse 36, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter basically says this, remember the king David that you think highly of? Remember him? Well, his body is now in the grave. And yet the God of Israel has done something drastically new in Jesus. He has raised his servant Jesus from the dead. And this one who was dead and now lives, he is now our enthroned Lord. He is the Lord of all of heaven and earth. Acts 1.9, our passage tonight, says this, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, that is the disciples, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. That is all Acts 1 says about the ascension. He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, when we read of the cloud, it's easy for us to think of Jesus as going on some sort of space travel or being lifted off to the moon. But the writer of Acts, Luke, is not thinking of this when he says that he ascended to the cloud. No, those who are familiar with the Old Testament would immediately think of passages in the Old Testament where a cloud was mentioned. We might think of Exodus 40:34, when the cloud covered the tabernacle, the meeting place of God and His people. The cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the whole space. God was indicating to His people that He was there present with them. He had rescued them from slavery in Egypt and now He is present with His people. And the cloud is the manifestation of God's presence. So when we read in Acts 1 that the cloud that Jesus ascended and in the cloud he disappeared, we are to think of that. That Jesus is now ascended into the presence of God himself. He has returned to his Father. That is the point. Just one more example, 1 Kings 8.10 which we might also think of there in the temple. It says this, When the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. This connection right here shows us one more example of where Jesus fulfills what was spoken of in the Old Testament. But I want you to notice about this passage in particular, there's a contrast just as much. In fact, it's loaded with so much imagery that it's mind-boggling. It, it's contrasting Jesus with the high priest. Notice that in the First Kings passage, First Kings 8, the high priest could not actually stand there because of the cloud. And Acts is now basically saying this, hey, you remember how in the Old Testament the high priest could not stand there because of the cloud? Well, now the one who was dead and now lives, namely a particular man named Jesus, he has now ascended into that presence. He is now the Lord, the priest king who has ascended into the presence of God. What is the good news of the gospel? First Peter 3.18 says it like this, Christ suffered once for sins that he might bring us to God. 
at last in our risen and ascended Lord in Jesus the Christ. Heaven and earth are united at last, and God and man finally dwell together. This is the whole point of the story, the whole point at which all of history is moving to. And this is good news for us Americans. We are a very religious and spiritual people with all sorts of do-it-yourself kinds of religion and spiritualities and anywhere in between. And yet, right now, Acts addresses us and says, it is finished. You are looking for some pseudo-religion or some spirituality to finally complete yourself and give yourself meaning? And yet Jesus says, I have done the work. I have finished it. Jesus is now our great priest king. Team human, if I can use a soccer analogy since I was playing soccer yesterday, team human has failed to score. And just when we were about to be relegated out of the league, Christ steps in. He takes on our human flesh. God himself enters into our humanity and takes it on himself, dies and scores a victory even over death itself. And now he, he is the one who was dead and now lives. And he is our great high priest and king who takes us back to the father. This is who Jesus the Christ is. And so in light of that, Number two, if that is true, well, what does that mean for you and for me? Well, quite frankly, everything. When the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? Jesus' response was what? He points them to the Spirit, that he was going to send the Spirit, that the Spirit would be sent to the church and that he would do a particular work in all the world. Do you see the point? Now Jesus is the great priest and king who has entered the cosmic temple and now all of creation is that temple. God is making all things new and the Spirit is now the first sign of that which is to come. This is the whole point of human history. This is where God is taking our story. And the good news for us in the church says Paul in Ephesians 2.6, God has made us alive together with Christ and He has raised us up with Him and He has seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. For those of us who belong to the community of faith, the church, for those of us who hear and who gather around the telling of the gospel each and every week, God has already made us alive together with Christ And yet we know for certain that this is not yet quite all there is. There is an already, and yet there is still more to come. And so we long for that day. The ascension of Jesus tells us of what has already occurred, and it reminds us that there is still yet more to come. And so now we bear witness to that kingdom that will one day come in its totality and in its fullness. And in that day, the end will come. God and man will at last dwell together.
That is the whole point of the story. And so I'll ask again, what does that mean for us, for you and for me? Well, everything. What, what do we do here and now? If I can just borrow left and right from, from the New Testament, Paul says, in light of this reality, husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. Children, honor your parents. Go be fully human and love your neighbor. Church, be the self-sacrificing community that demonstrates self-giving, godlike love to one another. And do good to all people. Seek the common good. Work quietly with your hands. Be peaceable citizens. Pray for your president and your government leaders. This is who we are to be in light of Jesus' lordship now. Because Jesus is Lord and He has accomplished the task of what it means to be human. Of what it means for who we were created to be. Jesus has done it. So if I can connect it back to the introduction of this sermon, the whole point, the whole talk about postmodernism as I was going on, Jesus has at last given us a story. God has shown us in Jesus that He is taking our world somewhere where God and man will dwell together and His kingdom will have no end. I hope every week when you open your service guide, the new service guide that you see on the right-hand side, the prayer for the city, notice the theology underlying that. Father, you have given us a vision of that holy city that is to come. Lord, you have shown us where you are taking all of history. And I hope we at the five o'clock are totally enraptured by that vision of that holy city that is to come. Because we are the people who gather around the gospel and we are the people who now recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and earth. Lord, you have shown us a vision of that place and that time when all the creativity and development and art and business of humanity, it is going to find its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That is where we are going, and until that day, we bear witness to that kingdom. Just to close, James K. Smith writes in a recent article, James K. Smith is a, is a theologian, he says, one of the byproducts of a healthy church forming citizens of kingdom come is that they are then sent into the earthly city with Christ-like virtues that also contribute to the common good. The Gospel says this, Jesus is now Lord of heaven and earth, and this means that this present evil age is passing away because the God of Israel has raised His servant Jesus from the dead. And so as free citizens of that city to come, go out and do your work well. Be good citizens and seek the common good of our city. God is making all things new. We in the church of all people, we refuse to give up hope because we have heard the word of hope of that city that is to come. And in closing, may I just conclude with this question? 
for those of us who are dealing with some sort of, excuse me, with some sort of anxiety or insecurity or, or death in the family or disease, we're all asking ourselves, is this issue that I'm dealing with the final word and end of my life? Is this the final word and judgment to my life story? Does death win? Does your anxiety win? Does, does your disease win? And the answer Acts 1 gives us is no. Because the God of Israel has raised His servant Jesus from the dead and He is taking your story and my story to that place where Jesus is Lord and His kingdom will have no end. Amen.